Way to go. Thank you, the Chick Band. How cool to have you lead worship for us this morning. What a privilege to be alongside you. You are amazing. Thank you. Shout out. Shout out to 33-6. I think they're over there. <laughs> Where my baby girl lives and all the babes on her hall. I love you guys. It's a privilege to be with you. And a shout out to Philip somewhere here who checked us into the, the Wingate last night. Thanks, Philip, for taking care of us. It's a privilege to be with you and Mr. McCain and to be here at such a great school. Hey, Taylor, look at all the people God sent to take care of you, honey. Is it going to be okay? <laughs> you heard that I was born in North Carolina. I went to that school. Not so long ago, I was trying to, to impress some high school boys. I told them I went to school with Michael Jordan. I thought that was going to be cool. They said, what, like, dude, like, man, he's like 40-something, isn't he? Cool factor is fading with my Michael Jordan hookup connection. But anyway, I went to North Carolina and then to Dallas Seminary. And I had decided a long time ago that... God willing, I was going to be the best little Jesus girl God ever had, you know? I, you could just teach me how to study the Bible and how to live my life and disciple me. I was going to do everything that God had called me to do, and I was going to set the world on fire. Except you know how the world is. Comes up to get you sometimes. And so I was going to be the best little Jesus girl God ever had, but about seven years ago... As a mom of four in a marriage, I was underneath the covering of the elders at my church divorced. Some of you know that story all too well. I know that my Taylor's not the only student here at Liberty who's known such a heartache and such a pain. I have to tell you that for the girl who is going to be the best Jesus girl God ever had, I can't even begin to give you the words for how broken life became for me. You know, I, nobody ever said this to me. They didn't teach me this at Dallas Seminary, but it seemed like when your life is broken and when it has become a million pieces, maybe God was going to have to put a D on my back and say to me, hey, Angela, you still get to make heaven, but I really can't have anything to do with a woman like you. Why don't you just go to the end of the line? And so there were many months and a season of years in this journey with God for me where I was looking for the heart of God. Times when I was crying out to God, what in the world do you do with broken down girls like me? I mean, what does God do with you when you come with your scars and your wounds? What does God do with, with the ones who have been hurt? What does God do when, with you when you have made your own stupid choices and then you suffer the consequences? I mean, what can God do with a man or a woman like that? Well, as the Lord would have it, in those months of really searching for the heart of who God is, he took me to a passage of Scripture, and it's one that I know that you know all too well. Turns out that in this passage of scripture, there's a rumor kind of going. People have been talking, and they're talking about this man. They're in Galilee, in the Jordan region. They're talking about this man. Did you hear? 
I mean, I heard about this man. He says his name is Jesus. He's telling everybody he is the son of God. He says he is the Messiah we have been waiting for, the one we've been looking for. And get this, like sick people, he is healing them. Dead people are standing up. The paralyzed are running when they meet this man, the one that says he is from the Lord. So people were talking. You know how things get around, and they didn't have so much else to talk about. Then one day somebody said, I heard that man we've been hearing about. He's going to be over there on that hill. We can go listen to him and hear what he has to say. And so I'm imagining when the day came that they had heard that this man Jesus is going to be on this particular hillside. The curious, they wanted to go and hear what he had to say. The ones who had already met him and believed, they wanted to go. The ones who just wanted to go to prove him wrong, they all went. But, I mean, nobody had ever encountered such a thing before, and so maybe it was like a Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. That man called Jesus is going to be there. And I'm just imagining that the families, you know, the moms packed a snack for their kids, and the dads closed up the shops, and they put away the garden tools, and they closed up the house, and they drug all the kids up that hillside that particular day because they had heard about this man who had done the healings, who had raised the dead. They wanted to see with their own eyes and hear what he had to say. And I'm guessing as they were going up that hill that day, that not one of them was kind of dragging. There had to be this eager sense of anticipation. We're going to see the one who heals. I mean, there had to be some excitement as they were walking up that hill that day. They had to be electric a little bit. Even the ones who didn't believe had to be charged up because they wanted to find out if he was real or not. I'm guessing there was an excitement, an air of anticipation and enthusiasm as people came to this hillside where they'd heard this man was going to be. I mean, maybe it was just getting so exciting that, you know, they were starting to chant a little bit and they were building pyramids and people are flipping off the back. They've divided themselves up into rounds. They're singing, bubbling over. I mean, who knows? Maybe the disciples had to quiet everyone down and say, hey, testimonial time will be a little later in the day. The people had to be anticipating what they were going to see because they had heard. And then finally, the reason for the celebration stands up. Can you imagine if you'd been there? You'd lean in. There he is. That's him. That's the one we heard about. There he is. And then Jesus Our Lord, truly the Messiah, the one who had come to save, Jesus stood up on that hillside that afternoon into this place that must have been charged with enthusiasm and excitement. Jesus looked across the hill and he looked into the eyes of every man and woman and child who had come up that hill that day. And the very first thing he says to them in Matthew chapter 6 is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, I'm imagining two old guys sitting at the back, and one old guy leans over and he says, 
What did he say? The other guy leans in. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, why do you think he'd say that? I mean, we're all kind of excited to see him. I mean, look at all this thing that's been going on with the dead people standing up and the healed people, you know. Why do you think he'd say that? Maybe he knows something you don't know. When in fact, Jesus knew everything they, they could not even know for themselves. You see, Jesus, that day when he looked into the eyes and right down into the hearts of every man and woman who had come up that hill, he saw the truth of how they came. He saw their broken lives and their broken dreams and their broken families, and he saw the truth of what was inside of them. And Jesus so tenderly says to them, I see your broken spirit, and I'm not afraid of it. I see the heartache you carry and the pain you have known. I see your disappointment and your rejection and your frustration. And I am not afraid of your brokenness. I believe what Jesus was saying that day on that hill that has become known as the Sermon on the Mount was this. That if you will come up the hill to where Jesus is with the truth of who you are, Jesus comes to wrap up your truth with a listing we have come to know as the blessings. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew 6. If not, don't worry about it. I got one, so we're good. Of course, I know you all know all this already. Matthew chapter 5, sorry. You know, every time I'd ever heard this passage preached or taught, I think it's just my own misinterpretation just kind of the way I was clinging hold of this passage. I'd always felt like it came to me the same way. It always felt like every time someone read to me the list of what Jesus spoke at the beginning of that time of this sermon, it always came to me like this when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then he went on. Felt like someone would preach or speak to me, Angela, you got to be poor in spirit, and you got to be mourning, and you got to be meek, and you got to hunger and thirst, and you got to be merciful, and you got to be pure in heart, and you got to be a peacemaker, and you, you got to be persecuted if you want to bless God. And every time I ever heard this whole thing all read like that, at the same time, I would just begin to get the heebie-jeebies and start to think, I don't know how to be all the gotta be's in one woman in one space in one time. I mean, how can you be all that at one time? How can you be poor in spirit and all these things at the same place? And I don't even know if I want to be all the gotta be's, especially not that last one with the persecuted thing. But the Lord had taken me to this passage for a reason, and as he began to tenderly heal my heart and my wounds through these words of Jesus, he began to interpret this passage to me fresh. But I was a little nervous about the interpretation the Lord was giving to me, and so I called up my friend who's the president of a Bible college and seminary in New York State. He was my professor at Dallas. I said, Hey, I'm working on this passage in the Beatitudes, and I really feel like the Lord is teaching me this passage in a different way, but you know, 
I'm a little nervous about it because I'm afraid if I actually write this and if I actually give this out that someone would come back to me and say, Angela, if you knew your Greek better, then you'd know you couldn't possibly interpret this passage like this. So I just want to make sure I'm not missing something somewhere in my study or in my understanding or trying to hear the Lord's so would you kind of just maybe look over what I've done and see what you think. He said he'd be glad to and called me back the next day. He said, Angela, this might be the most fresh interpretation of the Beatitudes I've ever read. I said, so I can go with it? Run. Because this broken down Jesus girl had come to the word of God to find healing and to hear the truth of the Lord. And, and I'd come upon this passage that had always been spoken to me as the God of beasts, but the Lord rephrase this to me as the when you are's that Jesus spoke to us that day Angela when you are broken in spirit would you come up the hill to where Jesus is and lay the truth of your brokenness on the altar of the Lord God and allow Jesus to cover you with his blood he will add the blessing and Angela when you are mourning come to the hill where Jesus is and lay the truth of your mourning at the feet of Jesus. He is the only one who can give you the comfort that will ease your soul. And Angela, when you're meek, when you're absolutely sure everybody's better than you are, when you're insecure and afraid of what you've been called to do, would you just come in truth and lay that on the altar of Jesus? And on and on and on, the Lord spoke to me these Beatitudes. I've come to call them the blessings and the beautifuls. You know, beatudo comes from the root, the Latin root, the uh, beatitude comes from the Latin root word beatudo, which is also the word we get beautiful from. I think it's perfect. The Lord calls it beautiful when you come with the truth of who you are to who he is. But this morning I want to pick out one little place because I want to say something to you that I am praying you will never ever forget as long as you live. Jesus said, when you are hungry and thirsty, come. He is the one who will feed you with his righteousness until you are full. Now here's the thing, I mean, we get so busy with our lives, we get so busy with the things we have to do, that the, souls can, the soul can scream out, I am thirsty! And you can misinterpret where the drink will come from. I love the passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to quote to you from the message. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Long, long ago, before he laid down earth's foundations, God had you in mind. He had settled on you as the focus of his love to be made whole, W-H-O-L-E, and holy by his love what pleasure he took in planning this. You see, long, long before you ever were, God decided that the only way you would ever be made whole is to be filled up by the love of God. And so when your soul screams out, I am thirsty, I call that place the empty cup of your soul. Ephesians teaches us that the only answer for your emptiness is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the living water of who he is. 
And so I know for sure that each one of us was given this cup of our soul wrapped deep inside of us, and it screams out when we need God. You will only be a whole woman or a whole man because you hold the cup of your soul out to the life-giving water of Jesus Christ. It's just, you know, everything's so crazy. And you can get to thinking that somebody or something or some purpose or some plan or some activity can fill you up and make you whole. Well, let me just testify to you. If you can get this now while you're here at Liberty, it will change the course of your whole life. Your wives will thank me. Your husbands will thank me. Your children will thank me. The people you minister alongside, the ones that God gives you to serve and to love, they'll thank me if you can get this this morning. You see, I know that you're tempted to hold out the cup of your soul to some man or to some woman or to something. And I mean, there are beautiful relationships on this earth, but God says to us in Ephesians, you will not be made whole apart from the love of God. I mean, that guy you kind of like over there in that English class thing, you know? I mean, maybe he can spit in your cup, but he cannot fill you up and make you whole. Because that place was meant for God. I want to show you something so you don't forget this. Jesus said to us that day, come. Come with the truth of who you are. And when you are hungry or thirsty, bring that to me. Come up the hillside to who I am. Because you were made for the love of God. You see, it's a cool thing about the living water that is Jesus Christ. He runs in to fill up every place he was made to be. There are no holes in the Jesus water. And then for the rest of your life, until you and I stand face to face with God, you're going to have to keep the empty cup of your soul, the one that screams, I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. You will have to keep the cup of your soul underneath the life-giving water that is Jesus because the Lord promises that he is the only one who will fill you up and make you whole. Now, here's the cool thing about the Lord. When you are full of the living water that is Jesus Christ, then you become full to overflowing. And I think every man or woman who belongs to the Lord ought to be spilling out Jesus everywhere they go. I mean, you ought to... You ought to walk in a room and people should get wet. And they go, what was that? It was her. She makes everybody wet. I mean, I think that's the responsibility of a woman and a man who belong to God, that you keep the empty cup of your soul, knowing that in your humanity you will know an emptiness. But Jesus calls you to come with that hunger and thirst to who he is and there keep your soul filled and overflowing. Now, you know how this place is? This world we walk in, you're going to need your Jesus. I mean, you could leave here in about 10 or 15 minutes and you could be walking up those steps, rushing out this violence center, trying to get to your next class and your girlfriend could say to you, hey, did you get your paper done? What paper? The one next class, 1130. Thought it was next week. 
No, it's today. And you are going to need a little Jesus. You could get back to your dorm room and doggone it, your roommate put some trash in your trash can and you know how all that thing works and it's supposed to be the day when you had an empty trash can and you could get a whole like demerit thing because of the trash and the roommate and the whole slob issue and you're going to need a little Jesus. <laughs> you know that guy who Facebooked you last night? Wanted to meet for coffee. You got up two hours early to look cute because he wanted to have coffee. You might get there for coffee and lo and behold, no boy. And you are going to need some Jesus. Just so nobody gets picked on, I know that thing works both ways. The guys, they get up to make their hair stay down or to make it stick up, whichever way you're going with it. And <laughs> girls, you have a responsibility to go for that coffee thing when you make that Facebook commitment. But you need to hear me say that the Lord, He is the one who fills you up and makes you whole. There is just no man or woman or no education, no degree as fabulous as all of that is, who will ever make you complete. I want you to hear the Lord say to you this morning, I see your brokenness. I'm not afraid of it. I am the one who will fill you up and make you whole. If you just come on and lay yourself on the hillside of who I am. Not so long ago, I had the great honor of being invited to speak in South Africa. Well, hello. Oh, shame. The um, ladies who know me there, I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time. <laughs> I know, we got ball fans everywhere. They um, said to me, why are they inviting you to speak in South Africa? I mean, you're just like this suburban mom with these suburban stories. Why would they want you to come to South Africa? I said, I don't know. But they're reading my book in South Africa, and so I guess I should go. This woman says to me, what are you going to say to them? I said, I don't know. I'll just say what's in the book. So my girlfriend, Carla, decided that she would go with me to South Africa. And for those of you who are here from there, you know how long that flight is. About 18 hours from Atlanta to Johannesburg. You think that surely the plane could not hang in the air one minute longer. And finally, it's down on the ground. It is the longest flight. And as soon as we got there, the people who picked us up, we got there tired, and they picked us up, and they wanted to show us everything, which I wanted to see. And so then we saw everything we could possibly pack into about 24 hours. They took me to the conference center where I was going to be speaking, and I spoke to the women of South Africa seven hours of teaching in less than 36 hours. 
I mean, just talking and talking and talking and teaching. And then in between the teaching, we were praying and praying and praying. And I prayed almost with every woman there. And my friend Carla prayed with them twice. We stayed up and we cried and we loved them. And it was one of the most powerful times of ministry I've ever known in my life. The Lord was amazing and present. He changed lives that weekend in miraculous, miraculous ways. When it was over, I was maybe as gived out as I've ever been in my whole life. Like I had nothing else to give, you know. And the lady who was the host of the event there in Africa, her name was Aldith, said she'd like to take us to dinner, and we said we'd really like to go. Because all I wanted to do was just sit quietly, not say anything, and eat. And so Aldith took Carla and I to a great dinner, and we were about halfway through the meal, just sitting there kind of vegged out. And then Aldith says to me, Angela, I believe the Lord has given me a word for you. And I was just so tired and so emptied that I, all I could think was, no, <laughs> not now, not like this. But then I decided maybe I had offended half of South Africa and didn't know it, and she wanted to rebuke me in the name of Jesus. And so I thought, well, let's just get it over with. Whatever she has to say, let's just go on. Say it quick. She bent across the table. She said, Angela, I've been praying all weekend, asking the Lord, what is it about, Angela? Why have we all fallen in love with Angela? Well, I'm leaning in, waiting for the word. She said, I believe the Lord has very clearly given me an answer. I believe we have all fallen in love with you because you're so ordinary. <laughs> I don't think she could have paid me a higher compliment. Because what she said to me in those few words is this, that God in his divine sovereign will decided that an ordinary girl who lived in Knoxville, Tennessee would get her ordinary friend and they would get on an ordinary plane and fly to an ordinary place called South Africa. And she would tell her ordinary stories in her ordinary way and she'd be ordinarily funny. <laughs> but the truth of what God is trying to show us is this is that when you bring your ordinary truth and your ordinary brokenness and your ordinary pain and you have laid every ordinary thing about who you are on the altar of God, Jesus can't wait to rush in to cover what you have laid there with the robes of his glory so that he can stand up what has been called ordinary, extraordinary for his glory and his renown. <laughs> Now maybe, just maybe perhaps, you woke up this morning in your ordinary bed. You looked over there at your ordinary roommate. 
You walked over to that ordinary mirror and you looked at your ordinary self and your ordinary hair. You put on your ordinary jeans, making sure you were ordinary Liberty Way. You got your ordinary homemates and you walked to your ordinary breakfast and then your ordinary class and you talked your ordinary talk. You came in here to this ordinary place and you sat in those ordinary chairs. And you've been asking the Lord all this time, what in the world would God do with someone ordinary like me? I am here to testify that if you will come up the hill to where Jesus Christ is, he is the one who promises that he is the living water. He is the one who fills you up to the measure of all fullness until you are spilling over the glory of God. If you will just keep on holding the empty cup of your soul underneath the life-giving water of Jesus until he makes you whole, that he will take your ordinary. He will wrap it in the robes of his glory and send you from this place extraordinary for his glory and his renown. And so I think it's time. I think it's time that the world knows what broken down Jesus girls and broken down Jesus guys look like when they have been made whole by the love of God. And so, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who calls you to the hill of where he is, go get him today and show off the glory. Make a lot of people wet. Amen. <laughs> Thank you.